Hello and welcome to It's Your Money, the Mayor Brownsword podcast, where we make sense of the financial world. I'm Andrew Harrison and here with me, it's the Obi-Wan Kenobi of Asset Management, Andy Mayer. Hello, Andy. How are you doing? <laughs> Very good. Is <laughs> the force strong with you this week? <laughs> May the force be with you. Well, I think it's with all of us after the budget from yesterday, so it's uh, been a fascinating week. Well, this is it. We're going to be talking about uh, about the 2021 budget, a.k.a. Rishi Sunak's fiscal drag race. It's a massively important budget. We've just seen the biggest drop in GDP since the Great Frost of 1709. GDP went down 9.9%, and Sunak's financial support for the economy to get us out of COVID has just reached £407 billion. These are almost imaginary figures. Andy, what does it all mean? <laughs> Take your time. <laughs> Yeah, how long have we got? It basically means if central banks weren't working closely with governments, the world would be bankrupt as it is. It's, I think, for whatever country you live in, it was a fascinating balancing act that he's got. He's had to do. So Father Christmas that he's been known as suddenly turns in twenty four hours into Scrooge. We were talking earlier, and you were calling this the invisible budget. Why, Why is that? Well, normally when you get a budget, and I thought what was fascinating pre this budget, it was like a set for the Oscars, photographs with his team, the rumours, non-rumours, who was going to win which Oscar. And then when it came out, it's a very clever budget in some ways because he hasn't increased or decreased the capital gains tax allowance. He's just frozen all personal allowances. So the reality is there's no negative headlines, but the rea- but brutally honest, everyone on this podcast who's listening to it will be paying increased taxation. Yeah, it's, I mean, that, that is the fiscal drag that I mentioned earlier. We'll talk about that a little bit, a little bit later. I mean, the big picture, the thing that you see on the front pages is it's often even, you know, for members of the general public, it's often even hard to understand from the front pages exactly what happened. But the, the overall impression is of caution, but maybe the real pain properly deferred. Um, should we look at the big picture first, and then we'll go down to the personal yeah. level of how it's going to affect savers and, and so on? So the gist is he's extending and then tapering off corona support, and he's increasing taxes in the longer term, not just on companies, but on on, on everyone. It, is this a classic pain later job here? It does feel a bit like a catalogue scheme where you sort of you get your SETI and you get 12 months interest-free credit, and then for the next three years you're going to pay twice as much as you need to. I think there's going to be some real pain over the next two or three years. But obviously, you have a situation where 18 months, you've got a government handing out cash to everyone somewhere down the road. It's got to be paid back. And most people, the problem is most of us don't want it to be us who's paying it. It always wants to be somebody else. Yeah. What what exactly is happening with that corporation tax uh, increase? Because that was the headline thing, wasn't it? That uh, corporation tax is going up to recently historically high levels. Yeah, the corporation tax is a fascinating one. It's moving up to 25% from 2023. But for small companies below 50,000, they're going to pay the current rate of 19%. Then it tapers up until that amount. So in some ways, that's quite a popular tax. I've read it's going to generate an additional... 50, uh, yeah, Over the next five years, the rate increased is expected to generate additional corporation tax of $50 billion. That's 50 billion. So by 2026, that's adding an additional 17 billion. And it's obviously for for companies that are profitable. But if you'd been running a company through COVID, you'd kept your staff on, you were doing well, and suddenly you get hit with that, there might be an element of sheer bitterness about it because it is 
a big rise. But the argument is he's allowing uh, the super deduction for corporate investment over the next couple of years, which is basically bribing, helping companies to go and spend more money on their infrastructure. But it is still a big hike. But as has been pointed out by a lot of the press, it's still below the average. Corporation tax will still below the average of the G7. A lot of economists have said that this is the wrong time to raise taxes at all. You know, money has seldom been cheaper. The, what we've got is a problem of demand and a problem of economic activity at all. Is Sunak effectively doing 2010 all over again and, you know, going into effectively austerity by any other name and setting us up for another lost decade? I mean, Labour is saying that the budget amounts to 30 billion cuts in funding to the NHS alone. I think what's interesting, austerity with hindsight whatever people's belief has come out to be proved, proven wrong. People needed to move jobs if they're in the public sector to get pay rises. If someone gets a pay rise with the personal allowances being frozen, if you get a £100 pay rise, you're only keeping 80 of it if you're a basic rate taxpayer. So he's done it in a totally different way, but with similar aims. We are going to pay increased levels of taxation. You look at the public sector workers who have, we all went out on a Thursday night to clap the NHS workers for a while. I suspect if you asked every one of those key line frontline workers what they wanted wasn't a clap. They wanted either a pay rise or some tax deductions to reward their service to their country. And what we've all seen now is tax rises. There was a whole load of talk about restarts and uh, building back better in new, new ways of looking at economics. There doesn't seem to be any of it really in this, is there? Am I missing something? No, I think I think what Sunex done. I think it was. I think it's a clever budget because the headlines aren't negative. But the Tory backbenchers are right in a way. You don't need any tax cuts at the moment. You need people when they get back working to spend the money in the economy. You want companies who are making big profits to reinvest it in staff, infrastructure, and spending the money. Right. Pay, if they're paying out dividends to their shareholders, that's where a lot of the people who are listening to this with the big companies have got their monies in pensions and ISAs. So we want these companies to be successful because we're all investing in Tesco's, Esso, Shell, because the stock market is companies we invest in every day when we go shopping, when we put cars, when we put petrol in our car. And the car we bought is generally from a stock market invested company like Tesla or Honda. So raising those taxes will add additional revenue, but down the road it will hurt people's investments because there will be less distribution to their shareholders. Yeah, and that is the kind of hidden the hidden thing about corporation tax rises. Is it's an incentive for companies to invest to spend because otherwise it just gets taxed away. So you might as well you might as well put it into infrastructure. You might as well put it into expansion. It's it is a kind of a an arm's length way to encourage that sort of investments, isn't it? Yeah, and it's also not a measure that will raise people's blood pressure because most people don't own a PLC that's making more than a quarter of a million pound profit. But the reality is we all invest in a lot of them. So it was quite a clever political move and it will raise an awful lot of money. But the rumours that pre-budget were capital gains tax was dropping, entrepreneurial relief was going to be scrapped, pension changes, and none of them currently have happened.
let's look at it from the personal level again and what it, you know what this particular budget's going to mean for savers and investors. Uh, I was looking this morning, Pensions Age magazine has reported that it's becoming painfully difficult for people to construct a cohesive retirement plan because the rules keep changing uh, and that this budget has been part of that. W- what do you say to that? Is, is that right? Oh, yeah. I think it was in 2000, I can't remember, the early 2000s, there was a new act called the Pension Simplification Act. <laughs> it was called War and Peace in our industry. You, he's frozen a lifetime allowance at a million and seventy-three thousand. which for some people, they won't reach that level, and some people will. But again, it's a disincentive for people who have got money to get to that age. And the reality is the people who've got bigger pension pots rely less on state benefits than people who've got smaller pension pots. But it is incredibly difficult because you look at that, they, they, the personal allowances, they estimate that it will drag at least 1 million people more into paying basic rate tax and I think it's another million into higher rate tax. So whilst it didn't look a penal budget, there is an awful lot of people who are going to be paying an awful lot of more tax. Yeah, this is the fiscal drag, isn't it? Uh, yeah. They really need another name for that thing because it's so kind of puzzling. It's like, it, it is effectively you will fall into a tax trap. Yeah, we. I, I think when Sunet was giving out money, he was the most popular man in the world. I think it would be very fascinating to see. He comes across as a great statesman. He's obviously a very clever, deep thinker. But the budget I thought was was hidden in such a way that most people went, oh, that's okay. But when you look at personal allowances being frozen from 2022 to 2026, that's going to raise an awful lot, an awful lot of tax. But also for people, it does mean that every pay rise they get over the the earnings thresholds, it's not going up with inflation. And the real key to financial success is whatever we think is investing to beat inflation but now we all know that our, if we don't get a pay rise, we're losing money against inflation. Well, so, but, but a few other things have frozen as well, or, 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 other, or other taxes have effectively been, been put up. What's happening with the inter- inheritance tax? The Telegraph had this scary graphic of up £32,000 on the front, you know, imprinted across Rishi's red box. Um, the inheritance tax allowance is going to remain at £325,000 until 2026. How does that affect people in the real world? Well, if we think about the inheritance tax, it's frozen. So again, there's no there's no indexation. We've got a stock market that's revived, but the Financial Control Authority have this great expression that one of the unknown consequences of when they make a rule, well, Sunex stamp duty holiday has created a mini house bubble. Now, what you'll then find is everyone goes, oh, my house is worth more, which is great in one thing, but it's now pushing people into an inheritance tax threshold again. So whilst he's created a very nice way of getting people to move, it's actually creating some more problems that first-time buyers are struggling to get onto the ladder because of the increase in values, and it's pushing people's house prices higher, which is creating more revenue for uh, inheritance tax. And he's just extended the stamp duty holiday, hasn't he, to September on the first quarter of a million pound? Yeah, of the value of a house. <laughs> we knew solicitors who from mid-January were refusing to take on any more conveyancing work because they said they couldn't guarantee to get it through. So it, really? Yeah, they literally, they were under so much stress to get stuff through. And with people working from home, such as the lenders, valuers, searches are taking considerably longer. 
they were just basically saying we don't want any more work, which is very unusual for solicitors. But it meant that they were struggling to get everything done. I think the delay, I can see, helping. But it has created a mini artificial house boom, which is beneficial for many, but it hasn't helped the first-time buyers. And that's why he's had to introduce this uh, government back scheme, because house prices have again moved out of the realms of a lot of first-time buyers. Well, by extending it to the end of September, he's just extended the bubble, surely. I mean, it's going to have to end sooner or later. I remember Vince Cable standing up pre-2008 in the House of Commons and asking Gordon Brown about house prices. And he said, don't be alarmist. And within a year, we've got the global financial crisis and people's house prices had crashed. So it is a very difficult act because getting people to move creates revenue. It gets the removal firms moving people. It gets people buying new carpets, kitchens, et cetera, et cetera. But at some stage, you can't keep having house prices going up that quickly beyond the rate of inflation because it does make it unmanageable for first-time buyers. And again, a lot of people will struggle to get on the housing ladder. A lot of the, the policy seems to be kind of built on the idea that there's this pent-up demand in the economy that's once we're all able to go into shops again and leave our homes, is going to be unleashed no matter what. And that taxation isn't really going to affect that. Do you think do you think that's true? Do you think they're banking on something real? I think the hardest thing about this crisis, this pandemic, is that you meet, you come across people who are desperate to go on holiday, who are desperate to travel, people who've bought carpets during the pandemic, and other people who quite like the reduction of stress, the reduction of travel. So the chairman, I think it was of Goldman Sachs, recently said he'd like all his employees when safe back into the office because they miss their creativity, that bonding, that ability to come up with great ideas. Other companies are giving up commercial rents and saying, no, we'll meet once a month. It works better for us. So if those companies are working from home, who's going to go and buy the Pret sandwich? Who's going to buy, who, will there be such a demand for trains, which will affect if there's not the oil diesel prices? So there will be, a, I think there's a seismic change in the way people are looking at their lives, which will impact on where people are making their spends. I think one of my best friends is a GP and he says when people are getting injected, he also sort of says what you're looking forward to and the general consensus is a holiday, right, mm. which is great. But will people who were working at PrEP find their job again? Will people who were working in railways have as much demand for people getting on a train? And there's a sort of strange divide emerging, which is that you know the younger people really want to get back into offices because – of the social aspect and the you know that excitement of when you're in the early part of your working life and also often they're in tiny shared houses where eight people on a zoom at once is not a conducive way of getting work done the older you are the less interested you are in going back into offices because you're very very familiar with them and you don't want to go into them anymore and you feel like you can get more done at home and you may have kids that you want to spend time with so there could be this kind of rebalancing towards like offices are offices are for the younger workforce and the rest of us are all at home yeah, but when I go out walking or cycling in the morning, it's heaving. Seven o'clock around Stratford-upon-Avon, there's an awful lot of people out there because they're not on the M6, they're not on the M40, they're not stuck in traffic jams, they're not on a train. And I think certain sectors will require people to go back, but I think there's an awful lot of people going, not going back to the way that was, and I think that will impact on how quickly we believe the economy will recover. I mean, they've estimated... I think that 
unemployment will be something like six and a half percent, which is dropped from 12. I wonder how accurate that figure is, because with furloughing going on, there's an awful lot of dormant companies who are taking the furlough schemes to pay themselves and employees. Will they reopen successfully or are we masking a problem? Yeah. And if you've got six and a half percent unemployment, that means you've got sort of just over just under 19 out of 20 people working. That that again increases the tax burden for the 19 people working. Yeah. To wrap this up, then from taking away from this year's budget, what's your immediate advice to the savers and investors that you work with? What what should people be thinking now? Has 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 this week changed the calculus for people who might be looking to retire? People who might be looking at a, a longer term way of putting their retirement pot together? I think it's fascinating because I focused in some ways a lot on the, the income thresholds, the personal allowances, but most people don't use the allowances that the government give you, which is twenty thousand into your ISAs. You get. Even if your partner is not working, you can put 3600 into a pension in their name per annum. You can gift £3,000 for inheritance tax purposes. You can put 40000 in your pension. Or if you haven't used all of your relief over the last few years, you can actually put in up to 120000 based on your earnings over the last three years. We should all be ta- checking our tax coding. We should be checking our personal allowances to make sure they're right. We should, if you don't do self-assessment and you pay uh, and you're earning 40% tax rates, making sure that you're claiming your additional relief on your pension through self-assessments. And I think there's a lot of things we can do personally to make sure we claim all of the allowances that we're allowed to because the allowances are getting cut and we're going to have significant, we will see a drop in our pay. If we do not get a pay rise, your net take-home pay will be less. So, if that's the case, use the allowances that are legal and get the most out of it. It's like the married couple's allowance. If if you're earning and your wife isn't and you're earning below a certain level, you can use her allowance. Things like that we can use and we should use them and that will offset some of the rises. And Inevitably, we had to have tax rises because of COVID. If you're thinking about moving house, should you do it quickly? If you can get a solicitor and a valuer to get you completed by June, do so. But again, are you buying a house in a rush? Are you buying a house in a bubble that when the stamp duty holiday finally ends, we see a correction and levelling off of house prices? So what you save in stamp duty, you might then in the next two years see that your house is not valued what you want it to be. But if you're going to buy a house for the next 10, 15 years, then it doesn't matter. Do you want to hear the funniest thing I heard or the weirdest thing I heard about this? This is all about setting us up for an election in two years' time. The pain is not going to kick in until two years' time. There'll be an election before that. What do you think? I do think that when I heard some of the reports pre the budget, that the tax rises were minimal. And I think you're correct. I think in two years we will see capital gains drop. I think we'll see some significant tax rises. I think he's trying his best to get the economy going, raise some tax without halting the country. But this is a huge, huge warlike debt that has to be paid back for. And that makes some of the football clubs like Man City look stable. Yeah. The sort of borrowing that you've got. So you sit there and go, it's got to be paid back. And the amount of grants which are correctly going into society, the amount of furlough, but that money's got to be paid back, and it's not the government giving it to us. It's a government directing 
money that we have to pay back. So it's going to, and I think you're right, in two years we will see significant tax rises. So every allowance, every avenue we can use, we need to use them because taxes are not, bizarrely for a Tory government, are not going down. Well, there you go. You heard it first. Potential election in 2023. Would have thought of such <laughs> a thing. Putting money on it. Just, Andrew, can I tell people that's a good £50 bet? I wouldn't put money on it if I had any money, but I haven't. So it's all, been, it's all been swallowed up by fiscal drag. And are we saying that Sunex kept the taxes low because he fancies being the next prime minister? You might think that. I couldn't possibly comment. <laughs> there you go. Andy, it's always a pleasure talking to you. The most and- important question I've got for you is who's going to be the next Celtic manager? <laughs> if you think the UK economy's got problems, you want to see Celtic. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, always a pleasure. We'll be together next time to talk about whatever the next iteration of all this stuff is. But until then, listeners, remember, subscribe to It's Your Money. That way you get every episode automatically straight to your phone or your other device, and you don't have to wait for Andy to email you and remind you. Thanks for listening. We hope you found it useful and informative. I certainly have. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.